Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Hi, Christy. Hey, Catherine. How's it going? Good. You look cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am no longer on the road. <laughs> You're in the Arctic freeze, Kansas. Yeah, I mean, I know by the time this the show comes out, we'll be past this. But man, right now, it's like negative seven. And that's that's like that's not real feel. That's like the temperature. It's so cold. And is there so, snow? Tons of snow. Oh, see, I'm jealous of that though. Like, you know, I get, I get that. <laughs> if it wasn't, yeah, I don't know. I like, I seriously went on today to see if I could figure out a way to overnight a pair of snowshoes. <laughs> well, no snowshoes are like bikes. It's really hard to get them. Yeah. They're not available. So, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I need to go exercise and I can't, I've got to figure it out. Yeah. You'll fall like deep into the snow if you go. I know I took, and I've taken like, after my race, I took like a week off, but that was over yesterday and I didn't get back on the bike or run because it was freezing and snowing here. So today I've got to go do something. So I'm just making excuses right now. That's all. Well, I have been getting back into working out in my post COVID Good. <laughs> and I went to the gym and I did my strength workouts and I was so sore I was so sore and I was like shoot you should have like regressed in your weights instead of like going because I, I was re really well rested so I was like 95 pound squats this feels awesome I was so sore it was like the I need the handicap bathroom stall sore oh yeah that happens sometimes <laughs> so <laughs> and then I finally got back on the bike and my my heart rate's a little wonky so just, I'll be, you know, be careful. You I'll are be inside for a little while. <laughs> so I'm afraid I'll be laid out on the side of the road. Well, and here we are talking about like riding inside and dealing with weather when our guest today spent how many, like a year 
living outside on her across the country. I literally was like, so when you said you sold everything and you rode your, like, did you go in your car or on your bikes across the country? And she was like, no, no, on our bikes. Yeah. Loaded up the bikes and traveled in a U shape from, (laughs) from Washington all the way down and then across and then back up to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And then went to New Zealand. And then went to New Zealand, which is, uh, it was crazy. So I was so excited about this interview. We actually yeah. uh, talked with Laura Crawford from the Pathless Pedaled. And if people don't know their YouTube channel, um, they've had a, they've been doing bike uh, packing and bike adventures for a very long time. I don't, I yeah. Know, like 2009, I think. When, yeah. But they were doing some stuff before that, but that's when they uh, ended up going on their big adventure. And, but their YouTube channel is fantastic. Like it uh, is so many of their adventures, but then lots of like information about bikes and gears and gears and gear. Um, but what I love about them is they're, they have zero interest in racing ever. <laughs> yeah. And side note, they're trying to get their channel to a hundred thousand subscribers and they're not too far. So I'm hoping that the girls gone gravel community can kind of push them over that top. Yeah. So, cause there's going to be like a party and we're all about party. Yeah. A virtual party, but yeah. still. So head over to Pathless Pedals and subscribe to their YouTube channel for sure. And we also came up with a fabulous idea from, from the podcast because they, their whole thing is party pace. Like you should yeah. party pace. So, so she was like, you know, the idea of party pace is like, if you're out riding and then you're like, I want to go fishing or I want to paint, which may not work in a race. When you have to make a time cut off, like if you're doing a, yeah, you know, an unbound or something, but there are a lot of people out there doing party pace. So we were like, we should all get the stickers, all the party pace people. And do meet I think so. Should, they've got stickers and a patch. So you could do one or the other, but yeah. then I'm meet getting, up at some events. I'm getting a sticker for my bike for sure. Yeah. They I also think have it's these, um, cool. Uh, what's it called when the, which shimmers, not glitter. The hologram hologram ones and that's gonna look really good on my black bike nice get you already planning i know because i am once i left triathlon no more power meters and all that crap for me i am definitely into the party base yep i love it so well we will go ahead and get to our interview with laura crawford hey christy hi Catherine. Hey, are you thinking about your 2021 gravel adventures? I don't know who isn't thinking of 2021 gravel adventures. I know. Well, I kind of have a new bucket list race. What is it? It is a gravel stage race right outside of Calgary, Canada called the Trans Rockies Gravel Royale. Have you heard of this? Um, you know what? I have. I think it sounds amazing. Four days, four days of riding, 230 miles. 23,000 feet of climbing, and it's all in the Canadian Rockies. I think that sounds epic. Yeah, it's set up where they carry your tents, cook your food, and provide your medical support and more. And like set up a big party every night. That is the best kind of glamping right there. Yeah, it's really the only kind of glamping I will do. (laughs) (laughs) I I believe that. (laughs) And you know what's cool is they are holding early bird spots for women because they're really working to get more women on the starting line. So if people are interested, where do you think they should go, Christy? Uh, TransRockiesGravelRoyale.com. I bet that site's got all the information. 
I think it does. And fingers crossed we'll be at some awesome 2021 adventure soon. Well, um, we're coming to today from some really cold weather, except for, of course, Catherine. Um, Catherine, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm not as cold as you and Laura are. Yeah, we've got Laura Crawford today, and she's up in Missoula, Montana, joining us. Hi, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. So you, like I said, you're up in Missoula. What's the weather like there today? Uh, it is snowing today, um, but it is above 20, so uh, it's a little bit warmer than it is for you, Christy. <laughs> warmer for me, but what about you, Catherine? <laughs> I mean, it's drizzling, and it's probably 50. <laughs> God, see, I just, yeah. we basically mm-hmm. missed that. Like the Arctic chill that's coming across the whole country. It like didn't hit us. So <laughs> it's just like the blah, like not really nice and drizzly winter. I can still go outside without a coat on. Uh, that's nice. I don't think it'll break 50 until May here. <laughs> Montana was all my places of maybe to move to, but you might've talked me out of it just now, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's beautiful here. The writing is incredible. I love it in a lot of ways, but winter, winter is rough. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today, Laura, because I have um, watched many, many videos on your YouTube channel, Path awesome. Left Pedaled. And I just love uh, you and Russ's story. So I would love for you to share, if our listeners aren't familiar with you, um, just about you and how you got into cycling and kind of what you do. Give us the story. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's a multi-pronged story. <laughs> so, That's okay. Um, we love those. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So it back in uh, 2009, we were living in uh, Long Beach, California, so Southern California, and had an opportunity to travel and had always wanted to just, you know, sell everything and disappear for a while and had gotten really into bike touring at the time. So, um, took off, traveled for, uh, roughly three years. Um, and that was, that was when we started the pathless pedaled and it was, uh, a website that we kept, uh, as a blog, you know, at our adventures while bike touring across the country and around New Zealand. And then in, uh, 2012, when we, um, you know, got kind of road weary. Uh, we moved to Portland, Oregon, um, and kept the the pathless pedaled name, but kind of transitioned uh, away from being active travelers ourselves and trying to, you know, really focus on how could we inspire other people to travel and how could we work with communities around the country to help them uh, embrace bike travelers and create more, um, you know, bike friendly destinations. And that was really exciting because we. Um, kind of had an opportunity to work with uh, Travel Oregon, which is the state of Oregon tourism board, um, as well as a bunch of tourism organizations across the country, um, including some in the Midwest, like Iowa, um, and and did that for several years. And then in uh, 2017, so a couple of years ago, we moved uh, from Portland to Missoula. Um, and I took a position working with Adventure Cycling Association, uh, and that's wow. when R- Russ really threw in, um, you know, 110% behind uh, the YouTube channel. 
Uh, so I went super wonky working with a lot of uh, state DOTs to help them figure out how to uh, designate uh, bike routes across the country and, and really working in that bike tourism sphere. And Russ went to YouTube and, you know, really, um, you know, started to create and cultivate this community around, um, you know, riding uh, in this sort of non-competitive way um, and really embracing that. How do you how do you just go out and have fun um, and and not worry about, you know, whether you're podiuming and and that's kind of that brings us to now. <laughs> I, OK, first of all, I have to know. How did you have the balls to quit your jobs and just go <laughs> bike travel? <laughs> because I'm very interested in this. I'm not quitting yeah. my job. Live feisty, just letting you know. But <laughs> well, uh, in in 2009, that decision was actually made for me because I got laid off. Okay. Um. So that was and that was the beginning of the when the economy was tanking. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I was uh, the organization I was working for at the time. Um. Just you know, kind of lost a lot of their income and, um, and it, it just timed out really well that, you know, I, we had been talking about this, you know, what would it look like if we, if we sold everything and, and took off and then it just sort of landed in, in our laps. So, um, so that was pretty easy. And then since then we've pretty much worked for ourselves. Um, you know, back at the time, Russ was working for himself, um, back in 09 as a photographer. So it was easy for him to kind of pick up and, and take that along. So when you say you sold everything, what does that mean? <laughs> it means exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> um, yeah, we had we had a you know pretty big two bedroom apartment in Long Beach, full of furniture and stuff. You know the stuff that you just accumulate over time, and um, we got rid of pretty much all of it. We um, we kept a few boxes. Um, you know, in our respective parents' garages of, you know, photos and books and the miscellaneous stuff that you want to hang on to. But otherwise, everything, everything went. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, garage sales, um, you know, donating things, you know, selling furniture, you know, that sort of thing. It was a very long uh, process. Um, it was, it was in, kind of amazing to get rid of everything. Um, but it was also, uh, a very hard, <laughs> hard process physically to just move all of your stuff somewhere else. Um, and we did at the time we sort of joked about, it would be a lot easier to just put it all in a big pile and light it on a fire <laughs> and walk away from it. <laughs> I can understand that. I've been cleaning yeah. out my house in anticipation of a move and I'm like, I just want to toss all this crap. <laughs> right. <laughs> just put it on the curb, let the city get it. But then I, I would regret that, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so when you were traveling, were you traveling like in your car with your bikes or were you traveling by bike? At the time we were traveling by bike. Um, so when we first left, we were each on a, a surly long haul trucker. So kind of the ubiquitous uh, touring bike, um, you know, fully loaded with four panniers and a handlebar bag and a rear seat bag, um, you know, expedition style. Um, and we really did pack everything in the kitchen sink. Um, we were both, you know, trying to work along the way. Um, at the time I still did some metal working on the side and jewelry making. And so had, um, literally had a bag of hammers, um, on my, my that bike. Sound light. <laughs> Well, this is amazing. I mean, I'm loving this whole thing because I'm like envisioning. Yeah, 
This is no, great. We, yeah, we definitely were not traveling light. Um, you know, Russ had a couple of cameras and a laptop and, um, you know, we, we really did sort of have this romantic idea because this was before Instagram even, you know, we had this romantic idea that we were just going to take off and, and be on the road for, you know, possibly forever and um, have everything that we needed, you know, with us um, and work along the way. And, and it, it did kind of work out that way. Um, and we would, uh, what was great about that trip, um, yeah. which I, th I think, you know, might, might have been the joy of doing this before uh, Instagram was that, you know, we, we really just were out there, you know, doing our thing. Um, we had a Facebook page, but for the most part, you know, we could still disappear. Um, and so we'd sort of set, we'd say, okay, let's go. Next big destination is Tucson or uh, Nashville, or, you know, we'd sort of set these big, big places that we would head for and just sort of like meander our way there and, um, talk to folks along the way and stop wherever we felt like stopping. So it was really this, this kind of crazy nomadic um, experience. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great in a lot of ways. Um, it was also really tiring because you're, well, yeah, <laughs> you're just riding with a hundred pounds of stuff every day. I mean, I'm like, I think about, I'm like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. So, so what are the not so great parts of it? <laughs> I, I mean, carrying hammers around, I would guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would say that, you know, the carrying all of your stuff, um, okay. is, is amazing and romantic and, and it's really freeing in a lot of ways. Cause you can, you're not, you know, uh, reliant on, um, what you might find along the way. Um, but it's also exhausting <laughs> just to, just to carry that much stuff with you and up and over mountain passes. Um, and, you know, we rode through one winter. Um, and even though we were in uh, Arizona and New Mexico and Texas, it was still cold. You know, the desert gets really cold at night mm -hmm. and, and you don't think about, um, you know, as much, right. When you're just in your normal life about how dark it gets, um, you know, in January. And so, you know, we would, we'd have, you know, these really short days of, you know, 20 degrees and you're just riding and, you know, trying to stay warm. And then, you know, by, you know, three in the afternoon, we'd be trying to find a place to stop for the night. And yeah. then you're, and then you're in your tent, uh, for 14 hours, <laughs> trying, try, trying to stay warm, uh, trying to sleep through the night. And it's, it's hard to sleep for that long. Um, you know, so, so that's a challenge. Um, and I think the other thing that, that you don't think about is, is that when you're traveling constantly, um, there are, there are stretches of, um, of road, you know, places that you go that are absolutely incredible. They're stunningly beautiful in totally Instagram worthy, just amazing experiences. And then there's those in between sections where, mm -hmm. um, there's just, there's no other way to get there. And so you're on a high speed highway with not much of a shoulder, um, or you're riding through the suburbs somewhere and you, you kind of just have to, um, grin and bear it and, and get through that. So, you know, I think that's one of the big differences about, uh, long distance kind of expedition touring is that you do have those, those sections where you just have to get through it as opposed to, you know, a two or three day trip where you can really curate that route to be just, you know, all good writing. Yeah. So would you, you would pick like, we're trying to make it to Nashville or somewhere. And then you would, would you set up in that location for a few days or weeks or something then like 
Yeah. And that was usually, that was the idea was ride for, you know, a week or two and then stay someplace for a week or a couple of weeks. So I think we stayed in Nashville for three weeks and Austin for a month and, you know, two weeks in Tucson and, you know, just sort of, um, stayed with people. And as I um, say, did you stay in a house in these places? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We would usually find, you had friends or friends of friends or, you yeah. know, somebody that, that we knew through social media that would put us up for a couple of days. Um, and that was a really great opportunity to see what, uh, different parts of the country were like, what different cities were like. Um, you know, that's sort of how we, we curated our, our short list of places we would consider moving to <laughs> later. <laughs> so, Sorry, Catherine. How much of the country did you travel to then? Uh, so we did a big, um, kind of you, uh, kind of going from, um, the Canada border in Washington, uh, you know, uh, San Juan Islands, Seattle area down the West coast, and then across, um, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, the Southeast, um, and then up the East coast to Boston. Um, Goodness gracious. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it was about 10,000 miles. That, okay. And then tell us about New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> also very interested in this New Zealand trip. <laughs> yeah. So then we, um, so we did that, that first trip and then we, uh, took the winter off, um, stayed with some, um, some friends in, in Portland and then switched bikes, um, and switched to Brompton folding bikes, uh, which was, uh, kind of, kind of silly, but also, uh, in, intentional because Bromptons have a very definite weight limit. And so switching to those bikes meant that we had to whittle down the stuff that we were carrying. Uh, and so we took much, much, much fewer fewer things, <laughs> many fewer things. With the us. hammers were gone. And how many cameras did Russ take? <laughs> I think I had one hammer, uh, instead of three, uh, Russ, I think took one camera. Uh, yeah. Well, and I'm just sure you learned a ton on that 10,000 mile trip of like, what stuff in here did I actually touch? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we also, you know, it's interesting because in that short span, right. The, uh, the, the laptop that we took with us on the first trip was, you know, uh, a really good, uh, lightweight laptop for the time. But by the time we went to New Zealand, there were lighter weight laptops. Uh, I think I took an iPad instead of a laptop. Um, so, so technology was, you know, constantly evolving. Russ was able to take a smaller camera, uh, that was lighter weight, things like that. So we did benefit from those, uh, you know, tech advancements. Um, and then, yeah, we, we actually flew to New Zealand on a one-way ticket uh, with the idea that it would be the start of traveling, you know, around the rest of the world and, um, you know, had, had kind of a strange experience there and just found ourselves by, you know, two to three months in just feeling uh, tired, road weary and that sort of thing. And so ended up buying really expensive one-way tickets home <laughs> after three months. <laughs> Um, but you know, New Zealand's an interesting place because they, uh, what you don't realize is that they have the second highest rate of car ownership in the world. So there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of cars on the road and the roads are fairly narrow. Um, so whereas it's, it's a, a, an amazing country for, um, you know, backcountry hiking and these kinds of experiences where you can really get back into, you know, the, the wilderness, 
there aren't quite those same experiences by bike. I think it's, I think it's getting better. This was almost a decade ago at this point, but, um, you know, and obviously they've got a lot of great mountain biking there, but, um, I don't think they're connected yet. Um, or they're working on it or they weren't, it definitely wasn't connected. That's, it when we sounds were there. like a job for you. It, it sounds right. totally like a job for Laura, Laura Crawford to go over and <laughs> set them up with some bike tourism programs, man. <laughs> well, I think they're working on it. That's, that was actually kind of what piqued our interest in going out there in the first place is they, they had started what they call their great, great rides program. Uh, so similar to their great walks, um, all these hiking trails that they have, they, they were starting to fund uh, construction of bike trails uh, all over the country. Uh, we were just early. <laughs> we got there before the, before they were done and open. Uh, so it was still, still a concept and still in, in development. But, um, I think, you know, I think they, they get the concept, um, really well over there. And it's just a matter of putting the, the time and time and effort and, you know, funding into it. So did your parents just think you guys were nuts through this whole process? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, I think they all came around. They, they saw that, you know, it was a great adventure and, you know, in, in 2009, it was sort of like, well, why not? Right. The economy yeah. was not in a good place. Um, you know, why not go do something more interesting? You know, I had a severance, you know, we had savings. Why not, you know, make use of that. So, um, you know, and, and no, it's I, I think it's amazing. And I'm, yeah. I, you know, my parents have gotten used to me doing crazy stuff throughout the year. So yeah. they're sort of immune to it. Um, but you know, I always wonder what, what parents' reactions are to their kids' stuff when you, when you're talking about some crazy dreams going out there like that. It's awesome. So. Yeah. I, you know, it definitely took them a while at the beginning. We would get a lot of, you know, worried, um, voicemails and text messages, of, you know, wear more sunscreen. You're looking sunburned. <laughs> you know, things like, like sorry, that. don't have service. <laughs> um, okay. So then you all moved to Portland and it sounds like mm -hmm. you really made your own jobs there. Like you, you created, uh, you wanted to have an impact on, uh, bike tourism. So how did, right. yeah, what was the vision? How did that happen? Um, well, that's sort of developed, uh, while we were traveling. Um, one of the things that we started to recognize was that, you know, we would go through, you know, by traveling by bike, we would be avoiding um, a lot of the main roads, a lot of the, the strip malls. We'd be going intentionally through smaller towns because there would be less traffic. Um, and, you know, we'd stop and have lunch somewhere, get a coffee, um, those kinds of things. And we, we got to thinking, you know, well, what if, um, you know, what if this was a thing? What if it was more than just the two of us stopping to get coffee, but it was a lot of cyclists coming through here to get coffee, um, you know, and what kind of an impact might that have? So it was just sort of one of those things that we were musing about while we were traveling. And then the more we started to think about it, um, and sort of talk about it out loud, that is how we got connected with a lot of people who were having similar thoughts. Um, and so this, the state of Oregon, uh, tourism travel, Oregon, um, had actually started to develop, um, what they called their, their bike tourism studio program. And it was designed specifically, it was out of their destination development office. It was designed specifically to work with small communities across the country to develop uh, good quality, uh, cycling 
and amenities for cyclists so that they could draw, draw people into those more rural uh, areas of the state, um, you know, for the purpose of, of riding bikes, but then also, you know, staying overnight, eating dinner, you know, spending some money in the local economies, um, you know, and so we just, it was kind of, um, you know, luck or fate or something like that, but we got to, um, meet the woman who was running that program, um, and sort of, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, got to start working with her, uh, got to, uh, create, um, little promo videos for each of the state scenic bikeways, um, oh, cool which is this really, um, which is a really cool program. Um, I think there's 17 currently and they're, they're rides that, um, you know, some of them are shorter day rides and some of them are, you know, longer multi-day rides. And, and the idea is, um, you know, that the, the communities come together, develop a route, um, and suggest it. And then it goes through this process, um, and they have to maintain it and market it. Um, and go through these programs so that they're, you know, welcoming to cyclists. And, and so as part of that program, uh, Travel Oregon had committed to making videos. And so we got to actually go out and film those. Um, and I did the voiceover. <laughs> so if you get voice for that, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I'm totally going to go listen to all of those now. <laughs> yeah. It was really a fun program, uh, and a fun project to be a part of. Um, and that, that, you know, through that, uh, that got us connected to a lot of other people who were working in a similar uh, sphere. Um, and that is kind of how we, how we, you know, got started doing bike tourism work. Uh, and now you're working for the perfect company for that. Um, yeah. So I actually uh, left adventure cycling um, over the summer of last year, okay. um, but um, continue to, to do a lot of bike tourism work, um, sort of on, on contract, you know, consulting with other, other groups across the country. Nice. Yeah. But, but it was, it was really great to, you know, to work with adventure cycling for, you know, I was there for three years, um, and, and really help them develop, you know, a lot of the, you know, thinking and tools around bike tourism, as well as, um, the U S bicycle route system, which is, a you know, kind of a, a wonky transportational project, um, but also designed to bring cyclists into those uh, uh, rural parts of the country, really. That was, that was a whole nationwide effort, so. Well, and, and you guys kind of take your approach to tourism cycling to events as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know. That, I love this, I love this concept. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when we first started, um, you know, the idea of bike tourism, um, you know, it was kind of this new concept. And so people were like, well, what does that mean? Is it just uh, self-supported bike touring? Uh, like we did, you know, um, back in 2009 kind of a thing. And over time it's evolved to really, um, be, uh, this broad concept of, you know, pretty much anything you want to do by bike, um, or with a bike, um, so it's, you know, it's mountain biking, uh, it's events, uh, it's self-supported touring, it's bike packing, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, and they all, you know, I think what's great about it is, is that they, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, you know, what's, what's great about having this diversity of, you know, uh, 
kinds of riding as a part of bike tourism is that communities that are interested in building bike tourism initiatives can really look at, well, what is it that we have to offer? Like what kind of riding is good uh, in our area that we can capitalize on, that we can really develop? You know, so some places aren't going to have world-class mountain biking, but they are going to have really great gravel roads or, you know, they're not going to have, you know, um, the, the, uh, you know, set up, you know, every, the hotels and the restaurants and the people and everything that you need to, to put on a, a successful event, but they might have like really amazing, um, road riding, you know, with no traffic, you know, so really looking at what is, you know, what's unique, uh, what kind of riding do you have? Um, and, and that's kind of how bike tourism has developed. Awesome. I bet communities are really interested in figuring out that piece too, especially with well, we actually, we talked to, uh, well, Kristen Carpenter, who runs Verde Communications, and she was just talking about how this last year had the outdoor industry has exploded. Like, and we've taken step like 10 years forward in a year. Yes. So I can imagine there's lots of communities like trying to figure this out right now. Right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be in the bike world, right. Or any kind of outdoor rec, because that, uh, that's one of the things that's safe for us to do, right? With COVID. Yeah, yeah 100%. You can, you can go ride a bike. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting because a lot of events are suffering right now because it's, it is hard to bring a big group of people together safely. Um, but you can still, you know, open your trails and you can still, you know, um, people are still traveling, um, you know, as safe, you know, I'm trying to be safe, hopefully. Um, uh, and, and I think that, you know, I've talked to a number of folks over the last year who um, are looking, you know, from smaller communities who are looking at how can uh, cycling and other forms of outdoor recreation be a part of how they uh, will sort of rebound and come back post COVID, um, recognizing that it might take a while for, uh, you know, some of those, those other things um, to, to start up again, but they can get people in, you know, riding bikes right now and, and do that safely. So. Yeah. And people are interested in it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And from a, an advocacy standpoint, right. It's amazing to have so many people, you know, dusting off old bikes and getting them out on the trail, um, you know, buying bikes, um, you know, the, the bike industry, uh, has just had a boom year, right? You, no bike shop in, in the country can keep bikes in stock. <laughs> and so, right. you know, it's so, it's great to have, uh, all those, those people out on bikes, uh, you know, whether they used to ride and took and, and then stopped for some reason, or they've never ridden. Um, you know, so, uh, I think that's a lot of what's, you know, really informing, um, you know, the, at least the videos that Russ is making right now. And a lot of like the party pace concept is, you know, how do we, how do we support, uh, you know, cyclists who are out there, uh, you know, just learning how to ride, um, or, you know, getting back into it, uh, that are doing this because they can't go to the gym safely right now. Uh, and how do we make sure that, you know, conditions are right, that they want to keep riding, um, you know, when those gyms do reopen. Um, well, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about party pace. Uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of the, what you embrace. And I know you all have done some big events. You did go to, uh, I saw a couple of events you did on your YouTube channel and then you went to Kansas and I believe ended up completing the 100. Is that correct? 
Um, yeah, we had signed up for the 200 and then, uh, I think we, we dropped out at 109, something like that. Um, which is nothing, <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. I think that 100, that 100 miles of Kansas gravel is rough. <laughs> um, it, it is rough. Yeah. I thought like, you know, the, the, the folks from Colorado that are coming to, to ride and they're like, Oh, 200 miles is of Kansas is no big deal. And I'm like, you don't even, yeah, yeah. you don't understand. So. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred miles of Kansas Flint Hills gravel is legit. For yeah. Sure. Especially when it's, you know, I think for us, it was hot when it hadn't yet gotten hot in Montana and it was, it was a 20 mile an hour headwind, like the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like this diabolical laugh I have immediately like, oh yeah, the wind, woohoo. That's, right. that's our mountains, you know? <laughs> yep. yep, exactly. And the heat is the great equalizer. So. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. We, you know, so both Russ and I came from, you know, we got into cycling as as bike commuters uh, in Southern California, and then we traveled by bike. And, and so we were never really recreational cyclists um, until we moved to Portland and, um, and did some, some local kind of rec riding out there. And, uh, and that's kind of where we got into to gravel riding. And at some point, the idea kind of popped into our heads, you know, maybe, you know, we should, we should try an event, you know, maybe we should, should see what this is all about. You know, should we, should we sort of, you know, is there like a next level that we're supposed to, to move into here? Um, and, and that was, um, you know, what called us to, uh, dirty Kansas in, I think it was 2018 that we rode that. And I think what we realized is that we are not, um, endurance athletes. Um, even, even though we, even though we biked across the country, um, you know, that's, that's a different kind of endurance, um, going out and riding, you know, 200 miles, um, you know, without stopping, uh, and, and managing to, to feed yourself along the way and all those other kinds of things you have to think about the time um, and stuff. Right. Exactly. And maintaining a, a fast enough pace. Those were, um, you know, we thought we would, would be great at it and turned out it really wasn't our, our style of riding. Um, and what sort of came out of that is that we realized that there is this, uh, this very large middle, um, between, um, you know, being sort of a casual rider and being, uh, an athlete, right. A really like, you know, fast riding, you know, um, kind of endurance athlete. And this, this large middle is, you know, um, all of us who really like to ride, um, you know, uh, like to go out and, you know, spend our day on, on the bike, um, you know, but maybe we're not interested in, you know, getting out there and, um, you know, trying to podium or really, you know, paying attention to speed, um, or, you know, Watts, <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, and, and, and that's sort of where party pace came from. Um, it was this, recognition that there is this, um, you know, that, that we wanted to go out and ride, uh, our ride, however we wanted to ride and not feel pressured to go faster or apologize for being slow. Um, and 
that also had uh, also gave us the opportunity to stop if we wanted to stop. Um, you know, whether that meant you know eat stop to eat a snack along the way, or you know do do another activity along the way, like bird watching or fishing or painting or you know these kinds of other things that we drag along with us these days. Um, and and what we realized is that um, you know the more this sort of this concept got out through the YouTube channel, that there are a lot of other people that are like, hey, that's you know, that's kind of my, my style of writing also. And, you know, we started initially talking about it, uh, as, you know, non-competitive cycling. And we started thinking, you know, wouldn't it be a lot nicer if this was its own phrase and it wasn't, um, you know, phrased in this, like, uh, this term that was, you know, counter to something else. Um, so that it had this more positive spin to it mm -hmm. and that, yeah. and that's, you know, so as opposed to saying non-competitive, um, you know, we're the, the antithesis to com competing, but that this is it's its own thing, party pace. Right. And it, it doesn't necessarily, um, say that you have to go a particular speed. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say you have to party in a particular way. Um, you know, it's kind of that concept of, you know, go out and ride your own ride, right. Just, um, with this, uh, sort of added, uh, level of, you know, own it, you know, whatever that is, whether you're doing, you know, 10 miles or 40 miles or 70 miles, whether you're, you know, um, going, you know, really fast or not at all fast, um, you know, whatever, whatever speed you want to do, whatever, uh, kind of terrain you want to ride on that you can, you can go out and, and do it and enjoy it and not feel like, um, you should be doing something different, right? Going faster, harder, whatever that might be. So that's party pace in a nutshell. <laughs> like embracing, it's embracing the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I like that concept a lot. Have yeah. you done any events since DK now Unbound or taken that to that? Or are you like, and eh, we're just going out to our own places? Um, not yes and no. So I, not events that have, um, a competitive aspect to it, you know, where you get a number and, you know, timing chip and those kinds of things. But, um, we, we've done an event, um, out of Oregon called the Ochico Overlander, um, a couple of times, um, and a similar event called the Ramble Ride. And those are really interesting events because they're, um, they're small groups. So I'd say probably 30, 40 riders, uh, and it's a multi-day bikepacking trip. So it's designed to be, um, you know, it's a hard, hard couple of days of riding, um, you know, a couple of hundred miles over four days kind of thing and, and mostly gravel. Um, so it's, uh, it's tough and you're carrying, um, I think in both of those, those events, they, it's fully catered. So you don't have to bring cooking gear and food and that sort of thing, but you do carry, uh, your sleeping bag and tents and whatever clothes you want kind of a thing. So, um, you're lightly loaded. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it is, yeah, so it is, kind of, it is an event. Um, but it's not, it's not a, uh, not a race. go out and it's not a race. Exactly. So everybody's out there doing whatever speed they want to do, you know, with sort of the idea that, um, you know, we'd like, we'd like it if you're back, if you're into camp by five, um, kind of a concept, but, um, you know, if you want to keep riding till seven, 
go for it. You know, if you want to bang it all out by noon, go for it. You know, so it's sort of, um, so there you can either be bringing your hammers to throw down or bringing your hammers to make jewelry. Exactly. <laughs> you need to do it your way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the, um, you know, the interesting thing about the, the Oshika Overlander is that when, uh, when they, the first year that they did it, um, James from uh, Good Bike Co that puts it on had actually designed the route uh with the idea that you could stop and fish along the way because there's just some really amazing fishing out there. Um, unfortunately the weather wasn't exactly, um, conducive to wanting to hang out by a river, but, um, but you know, that sort of concept that, you know, you can go out and, and, and have this, this great ride and also, you know, do a bunch of goofy things along the way. I love that. Is it in Montana? Uh, the Ochico Overlander is in Oregon, central Oregon. Is Um, there a, do you all have a video? on your channel. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple of videos. Yeah. Okay. We'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It's a great event that so people can watch. I'm a very solid, like I did, I raced triathlon for 10 years and I could care less about what my power ever is again, or you know, <laughs> being at the pointy end, but I do like events because I like, like having something to, to, tr- you know, having a goal. It just keeps yeah. me motivated through the year. And then I really like the atmosphere like I love like kind of that whole that people coming together and you know just like the stories I always cry when I see people crossing the finish line and their stories so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I'm like I could care less you know like how fast I ever go at an event again (laughs) right right well I think that's what events are really great for is bringing community together you know and and it gives you an opportunity to to ride with different people and meet different people and and have those other conversations and well, and typically you would like to think that the event directors have put together some of the best roads. So you're mm-hmm. going and seeing some amazing scenery that you don't have to research and plan for. And, you know, you can just go and embrace the, I mean, that's why the unbound course changes every two years, because there's so many amazing roads around here that we just feel like it would be doing a disservice if we didn't, if we did the same route every year. So, right. Exactly. And that's, you know, I love events that are, uh, organized and managed and really grow out of a community or a region because, you know, where you have those event directors, um, who are based in that area and know those roads, uh, intimately because that's where they ride themselves. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the, the huge benefits of say like the Ochoco Overlanders, you know, James is out there riding all those roads all the time. So when he looks at a map, he knows, you know, this road is like that. And this road is like that. And, you know, this one's, you know, really great hero gravel. And that one is really, you know, chunky baby heads that you're going to have to, you know, hike a bike a lot and, and, and those kinds of things. And so having that, that local knowledge to put together a course, uh, is really amazing because if I looked at a map, I would, I would have no clue. (laughs) It rained last night and that road is now three miles of hike a bike. So right. <laughs> exactly. The conditions definitely change with the weather yeah. <laughs> on any given course. Yeah, exactly. Heck, I plan my rides around here based off of the weather that happened the day before. Plus I look to see which direction the wind is out of and <laughs> do I want to work hard at the beginning or the end? Right. <laughs> you know? right. We don't have that many options around here. <laughs> There's one, there's one loop that's a close drive and everything else is like, you got to plan a day trip. Oh, I, I always opt to go into the wind first and yeah, my husband's always teasing me. He's like, you really shouldn't do that. Cause someday there's going to be an event where the wind is at the end. Yeah. 
yeah here it shifts yeah yeah here in in missoula where um they call this area the five valleys because there's all these like small valleys that come together with all these rivers that that converge and so you get all these microclimates and you get some really interesting winds through here not anything close to what you have but the bitterroot valley just south of us uh, is renowned for you can take the trail going south and have a headwind for 50 miles and then you can turn around and you can have a headwind coming back for 50 miles it's just um do you know how much that pisses me off when that happens i'm like no no you're not supposed to do that i was counting on that tailwind yep yeah, it's so funny. There is yeah. mental training in that for sure. When you yeah. have to turn and know you're in fact, like that's so good for me mm-hmm. mentally, but I hate it. Hate it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, wind wind used to be my nemesis, and and any little bit of it would break me, and I would just put Russ in front and you know try and hug his wheel and 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 head down and get through it. And I've had to learn how to how to just how suck to it up. <laughs> Yeah, you can't get rid of the wind, unfortunately. Yes, that's um, true. How did you and Russ meet? Um, we met, um, let's see, almost 19 years ago in Southern California. We were neighbors in Long Beach. Um, and so we just sort of, we, we lived in this really great little neighborhood at the time that everybody knew everybody and, you know, just met at a neighbor's party and, you know, old, old school. <laughs> before the internet. <laughs> I love that. I was like, people are going to be mad if I don't ask this question. <laughs> um, well, I would love for you to tell people a little bit more about your YouTube channel and what all think there's so much good stuff on that channel. Um, I got into a, a binge last year and watched tons of the videos. Awesome. But yeah. Yeah. Well, the YouTube channel is called the pathless pedaled. Um, and it really is designed to be a resource for, uh, anybody who's interested in biking, uh, you know, at that sort of party pace middle, right? So, um, you know, Russ uh, does, it's mostly Russ's baby. I sh- I pop up here and there um, for different things. Um, I popped up more when we were doing more, more travel videos, but that's been kind of hard during COVID. Um, you know, but there's a lot of, um, you know, Russ does bike reviews. Uh, he, he plays around with a lot of like weird, you know, gear, um, you know, experiments really, (laughs) um, you know, and also just like looking at, you know, what are some of the, the new, uh, toys out there, um, you know, clothing and and those kinds of things. Um, you know, so all of those different aspects of, uh, cycling at that, um, sort of middle. Um, and we've done a number of, you know, if you want to go way back, there are, there's a series of videos, um, that we did when we were in New Zealand. Um, there's a series, the series of videos that we did when we were training for, um, you know, Dirty Kansas a couple of years ago. Um, and, and, you know, so looking at a lot of those, there's, you know, lots of travel videos, riding videos that we've done, um, you know, going to the sun road here in, uh, Montana, um, we were down in LA and Tucson last winter. So we filmed a lot of different rides in both locations um, last winter. So you can go and, and take a look at those, um, you know, and kind of get some inspiration for different rides to do if you happen to be in, in any of those locations. Um, so it's, it's really, um, it's an, kind of an amazing collection. I think there's over a thousand videos out right now 
um, and we're, you know, ticking our way closer to 100,000 subscribers. So if anybody's yeah, <laughs> watching um, and hasn't subscribed to do so. Um, so that's really um, kind of going to be an, an incredible milestone. And when we hit that, we're going to we're going to celebrate with a, a live stream and kind of goofy virtual party. <laughs> so be sure to join us for that. I love I just subscribe. So I'm ready. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like um, they need to come down to the gravel house. I think so. Videos. Yeah. yeah. Christy um, has a, they have a grapple house down in Patagonia, Arizona. Have y'all ridden down there? Um, we have done, uh, we've ridden a little bit here and there kind of on our own. Um, and we would love to, to get down there. Um, but what Xander and Heidi have done down there is pretty awesome. Um, and we had actually, uh, we had planned we <laughs> to go down to that part of, part of Arizona last March. Uh, we were in Tucson and we had a uh, really uh, vacation house booked for a week in Sonora, right near Patagonia. And we were going to go ride a whole bunch. And that was literally uh, the week that everything went on lockdown. And we said, you know what, we should just go back to Montana okay. instead. <laughs> so one day we'll get back down there and do some proper riding. There's so much good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we have this, this great vision, um, you know, that got waylaid obviously by COVID, um, but of, of trying to really take the show on the road and, and go to a lot of different parts of the country and, and do a lot of those local rides, you know, with, with folks that are, um, around and, and have people, you know, show us around, you know, what's your favorite ride and, and, uh, yeah. you know, ride. do a lot of like shop visit videos. Um, there are a lot of, a lot of shop visit videos on the, YouTube already, but, you know, from places that we happened to be in. So Portland, LA, those kinds of places, you know, and so like really get out to, you know, the Midwest and, um, you know, the whole East coast we've hardly explored. Um, I think I've been to Atlanta once, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's these great cycling scenes that we just haven't had a chance to explore yet. So as yeah. soon as, as soon as COVID is over, um, whenever that is, and we can safely travel again, that's definitely something we're looking yeah. for. I, th I think that'll be very popular. Yeah, I do too. I love that idea. Awesome. Yeah, we'll awesome. definitely be watching. Okay, I have one last question for you. Christy might have another one, but, mm -hmm. but my question is, so if somebody's listening and they're like, oh man, I want to go explore one of these communities that you're talking about, that's like a great place or like, what are maybe your top three to five communities that you're like, you should check out this place. This would be a great biking vacation. Excellent question. Um, you're the expert, right? Yeah. Kind of know from you. Oh, but now I have to pick favorites. That's hard. <laughs> I'm writing this list down for myself. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to start with Oregon, um, as a native Oregonian. Um, it's kind of always where my heart is, um, pretty much any of the, uh, any of the communities along any of the scenic bikeways, uh, I would, I would highly suggest. Um, I think there are some really great communities, uh, in central and Eastern Oregon that are smaller. So there's less traffic, um, and just some really, um, wonderful people out there who are supporting, uh, cyclists and, and cycling. Um, so like the tiny little hamlet of Mitchell, Oregon, um, where Spoken Hostel is, um, there's a lot of great riding there. They're on a scenic bikeway. They're also on some, some, um, phenomenal, uh, gravel bike packing routes. Um, and Baker, Baker City in Eastern Oregon, um, 
has a really great bike hostel now. Um, so there's, there's some really, you know, fun locations in central and Eastern Oregon that I would, I would highly recommend. Um, let's see here beyond that. I'm going to have to think, um, you know, we've done, I've actually done a lot of work in both Iowa and Kansas. And I think even though, um, you know, riding, <laughs> riding, uh, DK kind of broke us. Um, the writing out there is incredible. Um, and, uh, there's some really amazing communities that have just really, um, really stepped up. Um, I got the chance to do on a really amazing project working with the Kansas department of transportation, um, a couple of years ago, uh, really, you know, working with communities along, uh, the adventure cycling trans am route that were, you know, seeing, um, you know, where, you know, it was maybe not the best conditions, um, for cyclists going through narrow, narrow road, not enough shoulder kind of thing, but those communities, uh, were really wanting to do what they could do to improve the roadways, to improve conditions, slow down traffic, um, you know, create, um, a, a safer experience, safer and better experience for cyclists coming through, um, because those communities saw the benefit and had, had, had really, you know, experienced, you know, 40 plus years of cyclists coming through on that route. And they just really wanted to maintain that. So, um, yeah. Um, I have a friend that lives in Iowa and he always says the cycling is awesome there. Yeah. You know, I, I was surprised. Um, we kind of wound up in Iowa several, on several occasions. Um, and the first time we went out there, I was like, wow, this is, this is actually really great. You know, it's, um, <laughs> you, you think of it as flat, but it is not, not flat. flat. <laughs> yeah, there's, some, there's some ride they do across Iowa every year that he does that. And the pictures are always gorgeous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it Ragbri? Is it oh, the big, the big, probably. Event yeah. Yeah. I guess if I have one last question for you, it would be, mm -hmm. um, what, what besides the hammers that you took, <laughs> What? I'm sorry. I'm so obsessed with that because I freaking love it. I love that you took hammers to work on jewelry while you were backpacking. What other like unexpected item did you take that you're like, hmm, I'm really glad that I have this and I wasn't expecting that this would be that big of a deal? Hmm. Maybe we should have sent her these questions beforehand, Catherine. Right. I know, but we would have come <laughs> up with them beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Honestly, like, I don't, I don't remember what every last little piece of gear was that we carried. I just, you know, I remember like I had a whole pannier front pannier that was dedicated to, you know, metalworking, um, that's amazing. tools and sheets of silver and, and then all of that kind of thing. And it was balanced out on the other side of my bike by, um, our, the kitchen pannier, which, oh, here's one. We, we carried a, a paella pan. Oh, nice. Um, which is, which is, it's basically a, uh, you know, big flat bottomed, um, steel pan. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was fantastic for cooking over a campfire. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Dang it. Now I want paella. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I think we could probably ask you questions. All oh, day. I know. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we really appreciate your time. The best place for Thanks. people to find you all is um, on your YouTube channel or you have a pathless pedal website as well. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So it's pathlesspedal.com or uh, we're on Instagram at pathlesspedaled. Um, and then the YouTube channel is pathlesspedaled. <laughs> Awesome. Well, everybody definitely needs to go subscribe and watch um, the videos and I will see you at a, something at party pace. Sure. Soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as we're all out of lockdown, <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be everywhere. So you have been listening to the girls gone gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at live feisty media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.